You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. This is highlights from our weekly service. So welcome everyone, welcome. Welcome to Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. MCC is an international Christian denomination committed to the basic Christian gospel that the love of God is available to all people. It is available to you and to me this very evening. It is not dependent on who you are. It is not dependent on what you have done. It is available through the grace of God, and you are all most welcome this evening. As is our custom, we'll spend a few moments in silence, becoming more aware of the presence of God in this place. Today, tonight, we continue our theme and we consider being and noticing the light to the world. And we're considering Jesus completing the law, in particular this evening. And we'll hear that through our time of prayer, through our time of worship, through song, and through word. A reading from the book of Ecclesiasticus, chapter 15. Verses 15 to 20. If you will, you can keep the commandments, and to act faithfully is a matter of your own choice. He has placed before you fire and water. Stretch out your hand for whichever you wish. Before a person are life and death, and whichever they choose will be given to them. For great is the wisdom of the Lord. He is mighty in power and sees everything. His eyes are on those who fear him, and he knows every deed of us all. God has not commanded anyone to be ungodly, and God has not given to anyone permission to sin. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, Lord. Amen. 
For every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. This is a favorite quote of mine by a gentleman called James Clear, who wrote the book Atomic Habits that I read over Christmas. I love this quote because it solidifies to me these three things. Number one, you can take your life in any direction you want it to go. Number two, no matter what direction your life is taken, you can always decide to change it. Number three, to reach your goal, you have to be consistent about your choices. You can apply this principle to all aspects of your life. If you want to do well academically, you'll have to vote for opening your textbooks and dedicating yourself to learning. If you want a successful career, you have to vote for taking on extra responsibilities and working overtime. If you want a fulfilling relationship, you'll have to vote for dropping everything else in your diary and being fully present with the ones that you love. This principle also applies to the poor choices you've ever made or will make in your life too. Anytime you lied, gossiped, stole or were aggressive, that wasn't who you were. It was simply a choice you made in that moment. It doesn't define you. You can always change. So this quote reinforces that you have 100% free will to take your life in any direction you wish. Isn't free will great? Mankind's first experience of free will dates back a few years, to shortly after the beginning of creation, in fact. By eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge, the eyes of Adam and Eve were opened, and God granted mankind the power of free will. As it happened at the same moment Eve decided to disobey God, free will and sin can often be viewed as synonymous. Many Christians grapple with this conundrum. Is free will a blessing or a curse? There is no doubt that free will can result in a lot of suffering as humans actively choose to murder, rape or steal. Many people ask, how can God exist but sit idly by while wars, famine and suffering happen in the world? But this question implies that the person asking it would rather live in a kind of pleasant dictatorship where God controls all beings and only good things happen to people. While this would be nice for a time, I believe such societies would be stagnant, rather benign places to be. If you don't know suffering, how can you know what bliss truly feels like? Without the bad, how can we truly know what is good? The possibility of suffering has driven economic and technological growth to help us avoid it. It gave us better housing, sanitation, agriculture, and transportation. We also only personally grow when we feel bliss after we've gone through a period of suffering or challenge. So if given the choice, I would rather keep my free will 
as I'll continue learning more from all the bad stuff in my life than the good. So if we should embrace free will, where does the notion of keeping the law fit in? In the modern world, all societies operate under a system of law to maintain order. If you breach one of these laws, you are suitably punished. Many societies have common laws around issues such as theft, murder, or rape. Some societies differ in laws, perhaps around divorce, marriage arrangements, or LGBT rights. A challenge for multicultural societies is how these laws are reconciled so that citizens can live in harmony but still retain their own heritage and identities. In the Christian sphere, followers have a tricky time reconciling the laws of the Old Testament with the teachings of the New Testament, specifically in understanding what Jesus brings to the table. Firstly, let's understand what we mean by the law in a Christian context. When we think of the law, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Probably the Ten Commandments. So looking at these, most of them would make perfect sense to follow for a happy life. Like, don't kill anyone, don't steal anything, don't cheat on anyone, just keep it simple. After the Ten Commandments, we have the laws set out in Leviticus. You know, the laws around no tattoos, no shellfish, no polycotton blends. These laws actually seem pretty obscure to us in today's society. But in a time when the nation of Israel was fighting against the odds of oppression, exile, and famine, it was essential that they followed these laws to avoid infection and ill health, Ill health to ensure their survival and prosperity. So these laws are known as the Mosaic Laws, simply because they were written in and around the time of Moses. If we fast forward to the context of Jesus' life, the citizens that he preached to tried to follow the Mosaic Laws. But they had the additional difficulty of Pharisees tweaking and changing these laws to suit their own ends and sense of self-righteousness. Remember that prior to the printing press, ordinary citizens didn't have their own Torahs, they didn't have their own Bibles, so they couldn't have known any better than what the Pharisees were preaching. What they heard in the synagogue, they likely took as truth and followed it. Jesus was right to be angry about this, and he called the Pharisees out on it repeatedly. Jesus himself was a game changer. But his significance wasn't only in how he called out the Pharisees on their hypocrisy. His death and resurrection was the fulfillment of God's grace for the forgiveness of all people's sins, past, present, and future. In doing so, we could experience a genuine relationship with God. Every week, we observe the absolution, where we confess our sins and receive God's pardon in return. Jesus' death and resurrection is what allows us to have that privilege and gift. Now, I'm sure for nearly all of us here, 
the question will have crossed our minds at some point. Can I just get away with X if I confess later and ask God for forgiveness afterwards? I've had many conversations with friends, Christians and atheists, about this conundrum. If Jesus is the path to forgiveness, surely that means that we're covered for any sin and we can just do whatever we want. Isn't that how Jesus fulfills the law? Well, no, not, not quite. Jesus' death and resurrection do not replace the law in this manner. I think we would all agree that if this was so, society would descend into chaos, crime, and hurt. God has no intention for us to live like that. Instead, Jesus simply changes the lens through which we view the law. Before his death, mankind understood their relationship to God in these terms. Follow the law perfectly and you will achieve salvation. In a practical sense, this might have meant sacrificing a lamb so that you had a good crop yield to prevent starvation. In a spiritual sense, this might have meant fasting, tithing, and praying to buy you a one-way ticket into heaven when you died. It was very much so a system of follow route A to reach destination B. As Psalm 119 says, blessed are those who are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. But of course, no one could follow the law perfectly. The combination of temptation and free will make it impossible for any of us to win at this type of game. So stop playing the I'm going to be 100% perfect for God game. It just doesn't work. Instead, take a moment to consider how Jesus changes the lens. You no longer operate in a system of keeping the law to achieve salvation. By believing and accepting the grace of God through Jesus' death and resurrection, you've reached your destination of salvation right here, right now. There's nothing you can do to lose that, provided you hold, hold steadfast in your faith. So your relationship to the law changes. It flips. When you experience salvation, your response is to follow the law. You see, the experience of salvation changes you. It's something so pure and joyful. Your soul is moved, your spirit is stirred. Something brims up and spills over at that moment. Cast your minds back to when that was for you. That something that brims up is love. It's been 12 years since I welcomed God into my life and decided to build that relationship. In those first few months, I fell into the typical trappings of legalism. Dear God, I promise to do X, Y, and Z in perfect worship of you. Amen. Of course, I fell short. Free will and temptation got the better of me. 
But that doesn't define me as being nothing but a sinner in God's eyes. No. What defines me is that I've continued to strive to love God, and following the law helps me to do that. Now, it goes without saying, I don't murder, I don't rape, I don't steal. But following the law means more than not breaking the big three. It applies to all of the little acts, too. I follow the law as a response to my salvation, when I speak to a colleague at work with forgiveness and compassion, rather than scream in frustration at their error. I follow the law as a response to my salvation when I politely decline to gossip about someone who's struggling in their life. I follow the law in response to my salvation when I tell the truth to my wife that I've done something wrong, which is more often than I care to admit. I'm not obligated to do any of those things, but I want to. Because every action I take is a vote for the type of person I wish to become. Every action is a vote for the type of relationship I want to have with God and God's creation. Every action I take is a vote for love. This week, a colleague of mine shared a fantastic story of how her two-year-old daughter, Charlotte, became so incredibly excited at the sight of her best friend, Archie, in the distance. She literally started jumping with joy. And as they gradually got closer and closer, they shouted each other's names, toddling faster and faster until eventually, boom, collided and collapsed on the floor in one colossal hug. The story was sweet, but what really got to me was just how much joy my colleague Joanne felt sharing the story about her daughter. I have a theory in my head that every act of kindness that we offer to one another is a love letter that we send to God. And I imagine that God feels exactly like my colleague Joanne whenever we, as his children, are incredibly kind and loving towards one another. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Every time we do a thing of over-theorizing legalism and doctrine and predestination and original sin, I think we're like the wise and learned who can't see what God is really wanting us to see. Instead, we should behave like children, like Charlotte and Archie, for example, who can't help but burst with joy and love for each other. That acting out in love just comes naturally for them. To finish, my take-home message is this. When you're tempted to speak unkindly about others, Tempted to lash out at other people who are causing you pain. Tempted to manipulate those more vulnerable than you so that you can feel that little bit of power for once. Don't do it. Let your love of Jesus, who gifted you salvation, be your motivation for being the better person. Not because any law says that you have to, but because you want to.
And don't just do it to the people you love, but also to the people who cause you terrific pain. I'll leave you with these words. To love God, love one another. It's as simple and as difficult as that. We remember that it is in the presence of God that we love our neighbours and ourselves. After God in your mercy, I invite you to affirm your prayerfulness by saying, hear our prayer. God in your mercy. Tonight, we hold in prayer before God, those perhaps including ourselves, who are in distress or uncertainty, perhaps suffering ill health, mental or physical, or carrying feelings of guilt, or the pain of a broken relationship, those coping with questions of identity, people who are in poverty or homeless, unemployed, or enduring unjust or unfulfilling employment. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We also hold in prayer before God people who are looking forward to a new stage in their lives those who are moving to new homes in different parts of the country or taking up new employment, those who are growing up or moving into retirement or beginning new relationships and to remember those who are well and happily established in their way of life. Behold, I make all things new. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we hold in prayer before God the complexities of life across our planet and the Earth's own distress. We think of global heating and its victims, of the spread of new diseases, of those who suffer the effects of warfare and civil strife, of people who lack adequate water, food, health care, education. We remember those who take counsel for the nations of the earth that they may be led to seek peace and a good stewardship of our home. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We hold in prayer before God those who weep, including people bereaved by death or some other effect, people seeking safety in this country, but whose future is uncertain because no decision has yet been made by the powers that be,
those who, for whatever reason, have lost hope. People in prison and those they have offended. And as Eric comes forward and lights our HIV AIDS candle, we remember all who live in fear of the onset of serious illness or some debilitating condition. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Holy God, by whose authority is judged all human exercise of power, give us and all your church grace to obey where we are called to solidarity and courage to resist when your justice is at stake. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And we conclude these prayers by joining in the one which Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And so we say together the grace. The grace of our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all, evermore. Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about what we do, you can find us on social media or visit our website, northernlightsmcc.org.uk.